Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Start with this. All captivating and epic stories have a literary element that's intentionally placed throughout the story that leads to a climax. Small but deliberate clues called foreshadowing helps us see glimpses of the culmination of a story. Take, for example, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, the old one, the first one. Uh, some of you saw that in the theaters. Who saw that in the theaters, that first one? Oh, yeah, there we go. All right, well, the opening scene... Opening scene, Luke's on Tantooine, and um, he's with his aunt and uncle, and they have dinner. And this is the, one of the first scenes, and at dinner, um, the aunt says, Luke's just not a farmer, Owen. He's got too much of his father in him. And Uncle Owen says, that's what I'm afraid of. So really, at the very opening scene of this entire saga that's gone through four uh, decades unfolding, uh, right from that very first scene, we saw a picture of what this story might become. Well, God is a masterful architect of human history, and he did such a thing in his word. And we can see glimpses, pictures throughout Jesus' lineage of what God was going to do by sending his son as the ultimate remedy for human sin and being reconnected back to God and being restored to our rightful place as his image bearers in this planet, bringing his kingdom. And so, uh, beginning this morning, we are, and for the month of December, we're going to look through Jesus' lineage. We're going to pick some, some uh, definite solid ones in Jesus' lineage, but then we're going to pick some obscure ones in Jesus' lineage. And I think we're going to see a grander picture. Hopefully, you'll see a grander picture of what God unfolded before Christ came. And since then, uh, that he is continuing to unfold a story, even in this generation. And we're going to be challenged to say, God, what is our place of your unfolding story even today? So uh, this morning, uh, we are going to focus on a man named Joseph. Joseph, can, his story can be found in Genesis 37 through 50. It's 13 chapters. So I hopefully you brought your... Um, your hunger for God's word this morning because we're really going to get in his story and we're going to see how Joseph um, foreshadowed Jesus in probably more ways than we walked in here right realizing. So let's pray before we dive in. Lord Jesus, God, thank you for your wonderful word. God, it not only tells us about Jesus, but Father, your word unfolds this grand narrative across human history that you've been deliberate and intentional of unfolding. And Father, I pray that we here could participate in remembering what, is, uh, what all went on in leading up to Christ. And so Father, I pray that you would open up our eyes and God, help us see where our story might be impacted by the story of Joseph. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, so just to place Joseph, he's the son of Jacob, who was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. So Abraham, the father of faith, Joseph is his great-grandson. And uh, we're gonna, there's six acts of, to his story. And so act one is Joseph the dreamer. Genesis 37, beginning in verse 3. It says, now Israel, or Jacob, inter- interchangeable names, uh, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age, a long-awaited, delayed son. Hmm. And he made him a robe of many colors, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Joseph didn't start out very much loved by his, uh, by his household other than his father. Uh, Joseph was the first son of Rachel, and Rachel was Jacob's favorite wife, and because of that, uh, special relationship that Jacob had with Rachel. Joseph was the treasured, favored son. And uh, obviously he was 17 years at this time. Uh, and he did not have very much wisdom. His father later, he has another dream, says the same thing, and his father kind of rebuked him. But um, here's this young man who is uh, favored by his father and who can uh, dream dreams and interpret them. Uh, So he's a shepherd. He is a shepherd. And he brings a bad report to his father about his brothers. And this is one of the several reasons why his brothers hate him. He's favored. He has dreams where we're bound down to him. He tells on our dad for us, on us. And um, it wasn't really looking very good for Joseph. He wasn't setting it up very well. But Act 2 so there's Joseph, just a little introduction as to who he is. He's 17. And um, Act 2, he's betrayed by his own brothers. In Genesis 37, 12, it says, Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. And he said to him, Now go. See if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. A favored son leaves the side of his father on a mission to see how his brothers are shepherding the flock. See a picture there. Genesis 37, 18, it says, Then they saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. One of the pits. And when we will say, and now a pit was just like a water cistern that would, they had lots of rock. And so they would, they would dig holes that would hold water and, um, to, for the animals and for the field. And so this is the pit that they're referring to. 
And he says, uh, come now, let us kill him and throw him into the pit, one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see that will, what will become of his dreams. Sorry. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood. Throw him into the pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that we might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of his that represented maybe his glory. They stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. When they sat down to, and then they sat down to eat. So they throw, they throw his, the, their brother, the one they hate, into this pit, and then it looks like they just camped out and had a little barbecue, like just right next to him. And um, maybe a little insult to injury, we're eating up here, you're down in the pit. Um, and then looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh. Those are embalming uh, substances in Egypt. On their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit it is? What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not let our hand be upon him. For he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to Judah. Judah was the brother that sold or came up with the idea of selling Joseph into slavery. It says, then the Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. So they conspire against him. A big plot, just they threw this plot together and they threw him in a pit. Judah steps in and suggests that he'd be sold for profit. Now what's interesting in Hebrew is Judah and Judas are the exact same name. Sold for 20 pieces of silver, where Judah sold Jesus for 30. I don't know how you explain that. Maybe inflation, but <laughs> not much of a crossover exactly on that one. But uh, So the favored son is stripped of his glory, his robe, and becomes a servant. Act 3, Potiphar's house. So in Genesis 39, verse 1, it says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, a captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. There seems to be this favor on Joseph's life that we're going to see. This is the first of three times that wherever Joseph was, he had favor on his life, and he was put in charge of where he was. So... He's in Potiphar's house. Let me just sum up a little bit of the story. So he's in Potiphar's house. Now, uh, right after this, it says, Now, Joseph was a handsome man, 
And it's so funny how there's little commentaries in there. Joseph was a handsome man, and Potiphar's wife had it out for him. She wanted to sleep with Joseph, and it, it seemed like day after day, it was a constant, it wasn't just a one-time offer, it was a constant pursuit of Potiphar's wife towards Joseph, and he kept denying her. He kept, no, I, I, this would dishonor the God. I can't, I can't give in to this. And finally it culminates where she finally gets so caught up in wanting to have an affair with Joseph that, um, that she kind of grabs him and he takes off. But she grabs his cloak and then makes up a story to her own husband saying that Joseph tried to rape me. Joseph tried to push himself on me and you need to kick him out of this house. And so Potiphar obviously takes his wife's position because this is a servant. Even though he had trusted him, it was a massive betrayal to Potiphar. And he throws Joseph into prison. And so while there in prison, falsely accused, not guilty of anything, he was tried and convicted and thrown in jail. And in Genesis 39, 20, so while in jail, and Joseph's master took, master took him and threw him into, and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So interesting, two times now, Joseph is put in charge of where he is being put there unjustly. Hmm. Act 4. Joseph begins interpreting dreams. So while in prison, a few things, few key things happen. Uh, there was a cupbearer, a chief cupbearer, and a chief uh, baker. And they, they weren't just like, they wouldn't just bear the cup to the pharaoh, and they wouldn't just cook for pharaoh. They were, also, they were administrative positions within his cabinet. So it's not just uh, that they would, you know, hold a cup and bake bread. It, there was actually responsibilities on their shoulders. But they, the, these two guys get thrown into jail. And the cupbearer and the baker both have a dream on the same night. And a relatively similar dream. You can, we won't get into the details of it, but uh, the cupbearer has one where there's three vines, and from the grapes, he grabs the grapes and squeeze them in a, squeezes them in a, in a chalice, and he hands it to Pharaoh. And the baker has a dream, and he's got three baskets of baked goods on his head, and uh, there are some great ones on the top, but birds were coming by and eating the bread from the top of his head. And so Joseph hears these dreams and through God interprets them. He tells the cupbearer, he says, in three days you will be restored, the Pharaoh will lift your head, and you will be restored to being cupbearer to him in three days. And the cupbearer's excited. He's like, man, really? Three days? That's great. And then Joseph says, but don't forget about me. Okay? When you're in front of Pharaoh, please, don't forget about me. And then the baker, 
says, all right, well, that was a pretty good one. Let me tell you mine. And so he tells the dream about the three baskets, and Joseph says, well, for your dream, in three days, the, Lord, or the Pharaoh is going to lift your head up off of you and, uh, in three days. And there's your interpretation. And then it's like, man, that, that wasn't the same outcome as the cupbearer. Can you, can you reconsult the big guy? You know, I don't really. But anyway, of course, that's exactly what happened. So the cupbearer gets restored and the baker is hung or hanged, if you want to be uh, accurate. Um, anyway, they forget all about Joseph. They totally forget about him. The cupbearer. Of course, the baker forgets about him. But anyway, the cupbearer forgets about Joseph. And, uh, and so the next passage is two years pass by. So here's Joseph, he's 17, when he gets sold into slavery. He's in Potiphar's house. It doesn't say how long. But then he was thrown into jail. And it was at this time, two years pass by. He's now 30 years old. For 13 years, he was displaced from what he thought his life was going to unfold to be. But it seems like God had greater plans than that. Genesis 41.1 says, After two whole years, Pharaoh now dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came out of the Nile seven cows attractive and plump, and they fed on the reed grass, and behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows of the bank on the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. Wow, it's kind of an interesting dream, you know. It's like, well, you'd think that the thin cows, once they eat the plump cows, would become plump. But again, it's a dream. So he has a similar dream about uh, stalks of wheat. And he has, it's the exact same dream. And so he calls his little, his little um, diviners or magicians or people that could possibly interpret dreams, and he shares this dream with them, and they cannot interpret his dream. And then all of a sudden, two years later, the cupbearer remembers, oh, I know a dude. I know a guy. He interpreted my dream, and it was very accurate, and so therefore... There's one in your prison now that could interpret your dream. And so Joseph, after a shave and a bath, is brought before the Pharaoh. And in verse 15 it says, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one that can interpret it. I have heard it said that you, uh, I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh. He says, It is not me, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And so he hears Pharaoh's dream, and he interprets it, and he says that there is going to be seven years of plenty in the land of Egypt, followed by seven years of famine that could potentially eat up the entire nation. And he says, so therefore, you should appoint Pharaoh, you should appoint someone who's wise and can uh, begin to stockpile for these next seven years, begin stockpiling food so that for the seven years of famine, people won't go hungry. And Joseph gives full credit to God as to an interpretation and suggests this plan. 
And then in verse 37, it says, This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? So interesting how Pharaoh, a Gentile, non-Jewish, probably doesn't know much about the Lord as in the, the God of Abraham. But he can sense and he can see the Spirit of God and the Spirit of wisdom on Joseph. It's quite amazing. It says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne, I will be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his great signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him with in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Wow. He sets him in charge of all of his land, gives him authority over everyone else, and they're bowing before him. Verse 45, And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath paneah So Pharaoh restores him and gives him authority, and he even renames him Zaphpanath paneah A list of many meanings. Um, there's, there's actually not one... Uh, names are sometimes hard to discover the meaning of, and, um, and so there's, there's actually a lot of different suggestions as to what this name, this Egyptian name, means. But there's the top seven, and I want to give you those top seven because it's interesting, the story that it paints. Zaphpanathpanea. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right, but praise the Lord. Uh, <laughs> could mean... Salvation of the world. Rescuer of the world. Prince of the life of the world. The food of life. Or food of the living. Or says the God, he will live. God speaks and he lives. And then lastly, revealer of secrets. Salvation of the world, rescuer of the world, prince of the life of the world, the food of life, the revealer of secrets. All of these titles could be said of Jesus. So every possibility that Joseph's new name could mean, all could be said of Jesus, the king. And then it goes on and says, Genesis 41, 46 I don't think it's up there, but Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the house of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So again, 13 years. 13 years, he began to be putting in, being put in situations he did not want. Outside of his control, he is put in these awful, awful situations. Betrayed by his own family, sold into slavery, falsely accused, thrown into prison. Hmm. Act 5. Joseph meets his brothers. So in chapter 42, 
The famine begins over all the land, and Egypt is the only place that has grain. So now Joseph's 37, because there's been seven years of plenty, and now the famine has begun. Jacob sends his son. So Joseph's father, Jacob, sends his son, all but Benjamin. Now Benjamin was the other son of Rachel. So he's actually Joseph's true brother, not necessarily half-brothers, but, um, and so Jacob wants to protect the other son of his favorite wife, Benjamin, and he, it seems like he too now has the most favor of all of his brothers, and so he sends all of his sons but Benjamin. He withholds Benjamin, he goes, I can't lose him. I already lost Joseph. I can't lose him. And so they travel down to Egypt, and they end up before Joseph, who's the one handing out all the food. He's administrating this massive food program, and they bow down before him. So while it's interesting here is that all the Gentiles of Egypt bowed before Joseph before Jews came and bowed. Which is interesting where there's, there's, there's so many clues throughout Scripture, even in the New Testament, about this great infolding of the Jewish people in the latter days of Christ's reign, and that it was through Christ the Gentiles seemed to embrace him first, but then there's this prophetic utterance that the, the, the Jewish people would be one day brought back into the fold. It's this beautiful picture that goes beyond Christ that he's even in the future. So he accuses them of spying. It's interesting. So he accuses them of spying and holds them in custody for three days. I'm sure he probably was freaked out. Again, he's 37 years old. This is 20 years. He's not seen his brothers in 20 years. He then sends all but one brother back to bring Benjamin because he, he says, I, I think you're all spies. He comes up with this story. The only way I'm going to believe you is that if you go back and bring Benjamin to Egypt, then I will know that you're not spies. And uh, many people believe that this was Joseph's rescue op- operation for his own brother because of what he probably would have assumed the state of his family. If I was uh, in harm's way, if I was treated harshly by my brothers, I'm sure, maybe his assumption would be, I'm sure Benjamin is experiencing the same plight and I want to rescue him out of this family. Now, because there's a lot of things that Joseph does within this story that just doesn't necessarily make sense, and so it's trying to kind of like, okay, why? Why did Joseph do certain things that we're going to see? But many people believe it was a rescue operation of his own brother, Benjamin. And so, um, so uh, where was I? So they, he keeps one of the brothers in prison, just as kind of a, down, a security down payment, and all the other brothers go back, and uh, they tell his father, uh, now Simeon's in prison, so he's lost another son, he thinks, and he says, we need to bring Benjamin down to Egypt. And, the, and Jacob is not having it. He's like, there's no way. And so really they delay. They delay a return trip until their grain that they had brought back kind of runs out. And so they're in need of grain again. And 
then in Genesis 43, 8, says, And Judah, so Judah steps up and says to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones, I will be a pledge for his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Wow. So Jacob releases the brother to take Benjamin with them back to Egypt. So they come back before Joseph, and he dines with them. He hosts them a big meal, and he sets them up by age, which they don't know how he knows that, but Joseph is still kind of not disclosing who he is. But it's just like, I know things. <laughs> and he gives Benjamin this massive five-portion-sized meal, more than all the other brothers. And so I'm sure Benjamin's really loving this. But again, they get more grain and uh, are leaving town, but Joseph sets Benjamin up in that he asks one of his servants to put one of his silver cups in Benjamin's bag. And um, so they leave, and then he sends his guards after them. And they uh, bring him back to Joseph, and they're accused of stealing. And um, now again, he knows the cups in Benjamin's, but they pledge to say, if we have stolen anything from you, we will be in your service. And they just couldn't believe. They just couldn't believe that anybody, any one of their brothers would take anything. And so they go from oldest to youngest, go through his sack, and then, of course, comes Benjamin, and here, lo and behold, the silver cup that had been placed there by Joseph. And so now Benjamin's life is in Joseph's hands. And so there's this sense that Benjamin could be killed. But then Judah, the one who sold Joseph into slavery, steps up and he says this. 44:32 it says for your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father, he knew that it was going to destroy Jacob if Benjamin was lost, and he says here, take me instead. And in the story, if you read it kind of all the way through, everything changes at this conversation. Everything shifts. And I think it's Joseph realized that Judah, the one he probably had the biggest grudge against, was a changed person. He had repented. He, he not just repented, I'm sorry that I did this, but he actually changed his behavior so much so that he was willing to go into servitude to save his own brother. And so the one brother shows to Joseph that this, that this thought of Benjamin maybe being in harm's way 
may not be the same family that he left. And at that, like I said, everything changes. His actions proved that he had changed and that he was willing to put his life on the line to save Benjamin. All right, last act. You there? Come on, let's press through. Joseph restores his brothers. Now that you're repentant, I can finally reveal myself to you. Hmm. Once his brothers repented, Joseph revealed who he was to his brothers. Wow. Genesis 45. So, so Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. Now, a lot of people will say, well, how did they not recognize? Well, a 17-year-old looks very different than a 37-year-old, especially uh, with, well, he was second in command in Egypt, which is the wealthiest nation. So I'm sure like skin treatments and sometimes there was even uh, makeup. So royalty would wear kind of uh, a wider kind of makeup to, to signify that they were uh, royalty. And so uh, it's interesting that, so why didn't his brothers like, you know, like, ah, I've seen those eyes before. It's like, no, um, Joseph was completely encased in Egyptian culture. He spoke Egyptian. Um, and so they just would have never thought that this was his brother. But he finally reveals himself. And he says, now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. I just think that answer is so amazing. That after a person who could justifiably be the most bitter, angry, resentful person, being betrayed by his brothers, being sold into slavery, falsely accused, thrown into prison for maybe a decade. And here he tells his brothers, hey, it wasn't you, it was God that orchestrated this story. It says, for the famine has been in the land for these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. But it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and rule over all the land of Egypt. And it's amazing, this story is unfolding and he, he finally says to them, with complete forgiveness and restoration in his heart, which is completely wild, he says, it is God who sent me here. God was unfolding the story in Joseph's life in very uncharacteristic, unanticipated ways, with much sin outside of his control. Circumstantially, he could have done a lot of other things with his mind but it was he was beginning to see that his life was now unfolding before him that God always had favor on his life whether it be at Potiphar's house or even in the prison or now in Pharaoh's house he had this unequivocal favor from God and he realized that all these things came into being so that I could be here before you my brothers 
to see you fed and restored and not die. Genesis 45. Look what Pharaoh does. So Pharaoh, he rejoices that uh, a servant uh, re, uh, let Pharaoh know that because um, there was much wailing and, and crying of tears and uh, getting back into family. It says even uh, Joseph's tears could be heard from Pharaoh's house. And so he inquired about it, and he says, what's wrong? And a servant says, Joseph's been restored to his brothers. And he was so excited about Joseph being restored to his brothers that he says this, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beets and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land in Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for you have little ones and for your wives and Bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. And the sons of Israel did so. So about 70 or so moved down to Egypt, and they're given the best of Egypt's, Egypt's land because of the faith, the perseverance, the forgiveness, and faithfulness of Joseph. What an amazing foreshadowing of the ultimate solution that God would bring, that God would gift His creation, Jesus, who forgives our sins, who restores us, and leads us into the kingdom of God's favorite and dear Son, Jesus, our King. So we can see, if we just dig into Joseph's story, how much God orchestrated Joseph's story to foreshadow Jesus. But if I could ask a final question, how much do you think God is orchestrating your story? Because sometimes we go through situations and we go through circumstances where we think there's no way that God would ever want this. There's no way that God would ever plan this. But could we have hearts like Joseph that even in the midst of these circumstances remains faithful to God to say, God, I know you're orchestrating my story. Even Hebrews, in Hebrews uh, 12, he says that, that God is the author and the perfecter of our faith. That there's, that there's so many things in life that we can't make sense, that go against our expectation, that we never thought would ever happen, but then God comes through to orchestrate a story through your life to glorify and exemplify and reflect the God who we serve. So my prayer that through this whole series, this was just a little intro, but my prayer through this whole series is that we could see how intentional God was in unfolding his story or history, how intentional he was, and how intentional he is over your own life. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for the life of Joseph that we can see so many similarities. A shepherd sent out from his father to see how his other brothers were tending the flock and how his brothers hated him and how he wanted, they wanted to kill him but instead 
sold him. Father, I just thank you so much about these, these aspects of Joseph's life that reveal your intentionality of foreshadowing the ultimate solution, which is sending your very own son in the flesh. And that, that through this season, God, through, these, through this month, I pray that we would not be captivated by any other spirit other than the spirit of God, a spirit of materialism or depression or God, whatever it may be, God, I pray that we would be captivated by your spirit and see that you have great intention with all of your children and that you have great intention with our own lives. Father, if there's any doubt as to, God, your intentionality and your orchestrating of our own story, God, maybe it's a missed expectation or God, maybe there's some sorrow as to we thought this and X, Y was going to happen, but it never panned out. Father, I pray that we could put our very own expectations at the foot of your cross to say, God, it's not our expectations that orchestrates our life, but it's the very hand of God that does. And Father, I pray that we would be able to see you even in, the, in certain situations that we think would be made to harm us, but God, I pray that we would meet you in a grand way, even in those moments. So Lord, let us be your people this week, sowing joy and peace and your life into those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.